I'm Dante. And I'm Randall. Thank you. We've been getting a lot of fan mail lately, and we thought tonight it might be fun to take a look at a couple of letters from you, the home viewer. Dear clerks, why are there no female role models on your program, let alone any females at all? Where are all the women? Signed, Jen Schwalbach, Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> That's cute. Thanks for your letter, Jen. Very pretty handwriting. Next letter. Where are all the women on your show? Are you guys afraid of women? Yes. This is another edition of Canada FM, the podcast that takes a look at Canadian artists that never really found their groove outside of the Great White North. I am Ted. I am Brian. And today we are going to pay tribute to who I am now signaling as the First Lady of Canada FM, Miss Amanda Marshall. And it's a good day to do so as well, because this morning, our Canadian women's soccer team one gold in what was easily, and I say this without watching a whole lot of soccer, the most exciting soccer match I've ever seen. Yeah, I've been following them the whole tournament, and uh, this game, I mean, I could see the Swedish team being very salty because the whole, the Canada's goal that tied it up was, I don't know if you watched the whole thing, but. I watched uh, the whole thing. Oh, no, no, I missed, so, the, I missed the tying goal. I did miss that. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, Canada, I think it was Christine Sinclair got like basically kneed in the thigh, almost Charlie horse. And, uh, but like the Swedish people would probably try to claim she was going for the ball, the other girl. And so it shouldn't have been a free kick or penalty kick. And that's how they tied it. It wasn't on like a, a regular play. So I can see them being a little salty, but, uh, regardless, we're champs. We beat those stupid Americans. And That's that right. Megan Rapino who was Brazil. shooting off at the mouse saying, how dare we lose to Canada? She can suck it. Did she say that? Yeah, she's like, I hate losing to Canada or something like that. She was being uh, very American. Yeah, because the no, rivalry like, re- is so intense. She was just, she was very douchey about it. Very American. But, well, this uh, is also the team that celebrated with their high kicks when... Uh, they're being like Paraguay, <laughs> eleven to one. <laughs> Although, I mean, uh, to me, it's justice. We beat after the the London games. I know that it's been Rio since, but after London, when questionable, yeah, refereeing screwed us out of the gold medal game because we should have beat the Americans for that. We never should have settled for bronze, but we got vindicated. We're number one, and if We're anyone one. out there. 
If anyone out there knows uh, the soccer player Adriana Leon, set me up. She's a cutie. <laughs> Adriana Leon is your girl, huh? She's cute. Should we see if she's single? I have no idea, Ted. Well, maybe someone can actually set Brian up on a date here. One of our loyal listeners. <laughs> okay, first Let's of see. all, she lives in Europe, probably, because I think she's on like one of uh, the UK teams. So, all right, maybe she lives in Europe, but you love Europe. I've been there yeah, once. She plays for West Ham United. <laughs> West Ham United, Brian. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right, let's see. Personal life. Wait, early life. You know what? Is it going to say anything on here? International career? It does not say. Well, women's soccer isn't exactly the the most paparazzi-driven sport there, Ted, where people need to find out every detail of their lives. Well, Adriana Leone, you have an admirer. And, uh, <laughs> hey, the six-foot-eight beast man named Brian Last. <laughs> and professional podcaster. Hey, you guys got a date going? You can give us a little bit of fame in England. Hey, check out this Can FM podcast. It's a win for all of us. And, you, you know, go. me Look not being away. You can't, single. You can't see this. You can't see this. Brian is blushing away like a little, oh, like a little schoolgirl. I also turned off my air conditioner for this, and it's 30 degrees outside. So it's, it's, I'm also, like, <laughs> hot. <laughs> so that's part of it. But <laughs> All right. Well, did you get everything out there that you wanted to say about the Canadian soccer team? Yeah. But wow. uh, when... In prepping for this episode today, I was driving, um, just like Shaq in those early 2000s Burger King commercials, I was craving a Whopper. And uh, I'm going to drop the little Shaq clip in right here. I gotta get a Whopper. Um, And I was like, I had uh, Amanda Marshall pumping in my car. And I was, and I was like, you know what? It's there's a nice breeze outside. Maybe I'll turn the windows down. I was like, nope. I'm putting them right back. At, who who pumps Amanda Marshall from their cars? <laughs> it depends on the song, I guess. But it was a very well, folksy well, well, kind well, I, of. I've got a couple of suggestions of songs by Amanda Marshall that you could definitely get away with pumping. Yeah, but this one was one of those like folksy. It's like bumping Enya. Who bumps Enya? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I really got no retort to that, Brian. <laughs> Maybe next time I'll bump some Anya when I'm in a bad neighborhood and see how well it goes. <laughs> anyway, shall we start with the Queen Bee of Canada FM, Amanda Marshall? Or you got any other little well, random things that happened to you today? Hey, you know, <laughs> pizza pie is very hot these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I got... I could, I could prod along, but I, I know I've been told it's a problem in the past, so let's just get right down to business. Like I said before, hey, yes, we do this podcast to profile Canadian bands, but you get a lot of this. It's just how it is. Well, I was going to do a rant about Aaron Sorkin, but... Why, why would you rant about Aaron Sorkin? What does Aaron so- Sorkin have to do with Canadian music or Amanda Marshall? Not a thing. Or but even you said, the Canadian uh, women's soccer team, what you were just talking about. Not a thing, but uh, you're asking what's been going on with me. I've been rewatching some of his shows, and there's been some things that have been getting on my nerves. But I'll save it for another episode. What have you been watching, Sports Night? 
Now, the Studio 60. Oh, Studio 60. I like Studio 60. I like it, but there's just things that get on my nerves. Young Simon Helberg was on that show. Yeah, his early uh, Nicolas Cage impression. <laughs> yeah, he was really good on that. Huh. All right. Well, we will jump right into Amanda Marshall. And before we do, let's do a little preamble here on Amanda Marshall. Um, she's been around, like, since we were young. Uh, what were your impressions of her when you were... I guess you said it in the previous episode. You you you, you might want to retell this story. You had an uh, unjustifiable dislike for her when you were young. Yeah. I was going... I'll, I'll just summarize it real quick. I mistook her for Joan Osborne, and I was going to the exhibition, the Canada X. I was on a ride, and the, the for some reason, the people running the rides who were blaring the music decided to blare... Uh, what if God was one of us? And I was just like this sad, like ten-year-old kid, just severely bummed out on the ride. Whoever was and, picking the music that day should have been fired. <laughs> you know what I mean? And someone told me, someone told me it was—I uh, I don't know if it was my brother or someone else told me it was Joan Osborne. So for years, I was, or, sorry, not Joan Osborne, Amanda Marshall. Yeah. So for a long time, I was like, this chick stinks. And then you know. Dark Horse and everything, and I was just... Then I eventually learned a thing or two about music, and I was like, no, Joan Osborne's things. <laughs> you know, I, I when I was younger, I remember the first time I ever, like, put two and two together on who Amanda Marshall was. It was the video for Dark Horse. And you ever see that video? She's really intense when she's singing it. And I was like, oh, this yeah. girl's overdoing it a little bit. And it wasn't until I started working at Moose FM in Caledonia, and we played... And all seven of those singles from the first album, plus Love Lift Me, plus Everybody's Got a Story, plus I Believe yeah. in You, were all in heavy yeah. rotation at the Moose. And that's when I really started to like her and really, really started to get into her big, powerful voice. And I remember a conversation we had with our friend Tom, one of the Ted, Tom, and Brian nights where me and Tom would just get hammered and you'd drive us around and listen to our <laughs> rantings and musings. We went off on our love of Amanda Marshall and how much we loved her. And I remember it was like, that's it. Tomorrow you're picking him up. We're going to buy that CD. Do you remember that? Tom's like, put it <laughs> Shook on it. And you're like, you two won't be able to get up to tomorrow morning. You're so drunk. And well, we didn't ever uh, get together and go buy that CD. But <laughs> years later, thanks to streaming, I have listened to that first album now multiple times, especially in the last few days. Um, but we will get into that momentarily. So our story begins on August 29th, 1972 in Toronto, when Amanda Marshall was born. Good place to start a story. Now, her mother is from Trinidad and her father, or Trinidad and Tobago, and her father is a Caucasian Canadian, making Amanda biracial, an identity that she explored quite a bit in her early songwriting, often describing herself as a woman who looks white, but is actually black. And actually, in fact, it wasn't until I heard the song, I wrote in the script, it was Everybody's Got a Story, but it was the Double Agent song that I realized that she was biracial. And we'll get into that when we get into yeah. that album. Um, she says racism was never an issue when she lived in Toronto, but when she was 10, her family moved to Halifax. And yeah, yeah. A little bit more racist in Halifax. Um, oh, yeah. She said it wasn't so much name calling, but it was being just kind of ostracized and well, left out of things. 
You know what I mean? Like, not being included in things. And her family was kind of on an island to themselves. And uh, they were there, I think, for about four years in Halifax. And then they moved back to Toronto. So she was a lot happier when they got back. And she honed those incredibly powerful pipes at the Royal Conservatory of Music during her youth. And uh, pretty soon, when she was 17, she started booking shows in the Queen Street bar scene when she was still a teenager, only 17 years old. And it was there that she met Canadian music legend Jeff Healy. Now, Jeff Healy recognized her powerful voice. And without her having a record label, without her having any sort of representation, he brought her on tour with him as his opening act. Wow. They got a band together, and she did covers. Occasionally, a song that she'd write would make its way into the mix. So... What's different from Amanda Marshall than a lot of people, she toured with him for three years as his opening act. Because of this Jeff Healy exposure, uh, something big was developing here. And she had the look, too. She had that giant blonde curly hair, and she had the giant voice. I can imagine it. Yeah, like a a Canadian uh, Janis Joplin. Um... Yeah, okay. I, I, you know, I think that Amanda's voice is a lot more pure than Janis oh, Joplin's voice. It just, uh, she can really just let it wail like Janis Joplin did that's back true. in the day. That's all. That's, that's, that's just point. where my yeah. mind went. Uh, but yeah, she got the look. Beautiful girl. Big voice. Obviously, record labels were looking at this person that she can sell like hotcakes. So a bidding war started. And it became pretty publicized. And eventually, in 1991, she'd ink a deal with Columbia Records. However, it's turned into a very short-lived partnership. And in Amanda's own words, the label really didn't know what to do with her. And at that time, she had no idea what kind of album she wanted to make. And so the two sides just, they parted ways. And Mm. that was her, like... Oh, boy, big hype train coming through the station. Let's jump on. Eh, Second thought, maybe not. That's so strange. Yeah. Like, you think you got, you spend three years with this legend, Jeff Healy, and you think you would have, like, either written some songs together or maybe he could have just, like, you know, laid down a few licks on the tour, but I don't know if they were traveling together. Or, like, you know, what they were doing sound yeah. checks and stuff. Maybe they could have jammed and, like, put some sort of a loose sound. Maybe brought him in as a consultant or a producer to be like, help me. You know, you've known me for three years now. What should I do? Be his, his yeah. Yoda but or her Yoda, but uh, so used to male bands, but this is the first female. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you think something like that would have happened, but I don't know. Maybe it's, Jeff Healy couldn't find her. <laughs> it makes sense, though, because here she is. She's that was a, a terrible whoa, blind joke. Hold on. I just sped past that. <laughs> Bite your tongue, sir. That was a terrible taste. Making fun of a poor blind man's vision. <laughs> I, I apologize. R.I.P. Jeff Healy. There you go. But anyway, you can imagine it being tough for her because she herself couldn't be put into a box. You know, she's touring with the blues man. 
She uh, some of yeah. her influences. She was into jazz growing up. She, she cites this group called Tuck and Patty as major influences. I wasn't able to find too much on them, but she was also a big fan of like the Pointer Sisters. So she liked R and B and big pop like that. Uh, the soundtrack for the movie Fame. So she just liked music of like people singing Broadway show tunes as well. She loved uh, yeah. Maya Angelou's work, the poet. She wanted to incorporate some of that in there. Um, do you remember Dion Ferris? I know what you do it. Baby, that was her big hit. That was a good little okay. tune. I believe that's, she worked with familiar. Arrested Development as well. She was with them for their first album. She, yeah, yeah, she cites her as one of her favorite artists of all time. So you get all these influences coming from so many different corners. R&B, hip-hop, Broadway, blues, jazz. It's tough, especially when you're like 20 years old, to figure out what direction you want to take when you've got a record label also throwing their ideas at you. Well, see, this is the thing. Normally... The first album is the the one for me. You know what I mean? It's the one that's like, we did this on our backs. Either you put it out or you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's what usually puts you on the map. It's usually not until album like two or three where you get this like corporatized, you know, dog shit album. That's like, because <laughs> the, the studio has too much hand in. You know, it's um, funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because I sort of noticed and we'll get into it as we get into the three albums. It's kind of the reverse with Amanda. Yeah. And I'll explain that as we, we go along. Yeah. Uh, but it would actually be another four years until she was ready to sign a record deal. And this time she went with Epic Records, which is a division of Sony that specialized actually mainly in jazz recordings. So they gave her one of the smaller subsets of Sony. Hey, we do the weird shit over here. You can do whatever weird shit you want. And... Uh, she was happy with it because she got to play a little bit more. Let um, me, let me just when... jump in one more time, sorry, before you go into the history. I think I have one more theory as to, you said she was 20 when you got her first one with Columbia, right? Uh, the, in 91, yeah. So 2019, 20, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the other thing too is, you know, you got to remember what's dominating the rock charts at the time. Or the, the charts in general. A lot mm-hmm. of grunge and even like the, the female driven bands. Like the there was like an early nineties feminist movement, but it was like bands like Bikini Kill, they're all these like hard yeah, rock L7. bands. Uh, Kurt, yeah. Yeah. And I think the Slits, uh what a crass name for a band, but uh I thought the Slits were a lot earlier. Were they? I don't know. But I don't know. Either way, it was like stuff like that. So they that's another thing where they're like, what do we do? She's not she doesn't like this type of music either. So she would have even if she'd put out a that first album, even if she knew what she wanted to do musically, she might have fallen down the tracks or down the cracks. But that's it wasn't true because until... Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, I mean I was saying what you're saying is true because it would take a a, a couple of years for that like adult alternative scene. To really yeah. take off when you had, like, Melissa Etheridge is kind of a good comparison. She really took yeah. off with that type of music. And that's sort of the bubble that Amanda would eventually find herself in. Yeah. But Epic didn't really stay time with her. The same year she signed the deal, they included a cover of her singing Neil Young's Don't Let It Bring You Down for a tribute album that they had called Borrowed Tunes, which was Canadian artists covering Neil Young. Great idea on paper. And she was on there with friend of the show, Blue Rodeo, knock on wood one day, uh, Big Sugar and Our Lady Peace. So she was in really comp- good company on this two-disc set. The issue was, like most tribute albums, for whatever reason, this two-disc Neil Young tribute didn't get the greatest reviews in the world. Uh, haven't had the time to listen to it, but still. 
Her life would change forever in 1995 with the release of her self-titled debut. And she traveled to Los Angeles for the recording and the writing of this album when she recruited Canadian producer David Tyson. Now, David Tyson, at the time, was best known for his songwriting skills, and he wrote the song Black Velvet for Alana Miles. So here's a guy who's taken another Canadian singer with a big, powerful voice, made her a superstar. Well, I'll make her a superstar. She did it with her voice. She's in good hands here with David Tyson. And Tyson was also part of the songwriting team for this album, which also included Marshall. She wrote a couple songs, as well as Kristen Hall, who had actually become a founding member of the country group Sugarland before being dismissed before the release of their first album. So she really got a raw deal there. Uh, Dean McTaggart, the lead singer of the Canadian pop act The Arrows, whose biggest hit was Meet Me in the Middle. Let's hear a little bit of that. There you go. Mark Jordan, a solo singer whose biggest hit was the Jimmy Buffett-style Marina Del Rey. Now, I definitely want you to play that one. Yeah, we have a, uh, I, tell you, I think I told you about our Margs and Babes playlist that me and Bryn put out whenever we break out the Buffett margarita machine. Yeah. Marina Del Rey is one I always put on, and she always tries to take it off the list, but I always find a way to get it back on there. <laughs> it's a great little laid-back, slacker, tropical island tune. Uh, also, uh, Christopher Ward was another guy on the writing team, and he was actually one of the first Much Music VJs, so he's on the writing team as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so she had, a, she had good company around her when uh, they recorded this album. Now, the hype that surrounded this album... The producer, David Tyson, the all-star writing team, it paid off big time. As this album would sell like freaking gangbusters. It reached number four in the Canadian album charts, achieved diamond status. I think this is our first diamond album. And it was also an international hit, doing huge numbers in Australia, New Zealand, the Netherlands, Sweden, Germany, the UK, and Norway where it would reach number one on the album charts and was Norway's best-selling album of 1995. Wow. Yeah. I want them to put an extra scene in the next Avengers movie. Thor, like, takes off with Mjolnir. He's like, love, lift me wherever you are. (laughs) That'd be great, huh? I bet you they got Amanda Marshall in Asgard. (laughs) Norway is like the the interstellar porthole to Asgard, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. You're the Thor guy. (laughs) You're the Thor. You're the one who said he wanted to get a Thor hammer tattoo one of these days. I don't know if you ever follow through on that. I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) I've seen some of the people who get Thor hammer tattoos, and they're not my kind of people. Let me just put it that way. Um, They're also kind of obsessed uh, with some other things that go along with Norse culture, like blue eyes and blonde hair, and that being the only people in the uh, (laughs) the universe. Yes, the Molnir tattoo has much ties with Nazism. And I do not want to even get anything close to that. I mean, you could always just get a straight Thor tattoo, because that's your guy. I'd rather do that. Yeah. Or like that Thor shirt that I have that says, let's go clubbing. (laughs) <laughs> I like mine, the one that I used to have that said it's hammer time. Ah, that's a good one too. 
See, there's so many Thor puns that you could do, especially now. <laughs> but I'd want to get like the old Jack Kirby style Thor. I wouldn't want to get Chris Hemsworth tattooed on me. No. He's a handsome guy. Nothing wrong with that. But give me the I like the old comic book art. That's what I'd want. Yeah, I definitely would anyway. not get another man tattooed on myself like that, unless it was like a cartoon caricature. I flirted with a couple of well, musician tattoos before, but... That is the know. thing in this day and age, and I'm, uh, hopefully Chris Hemsworth is just the glowing man he receives, but he could do something horrible, and then he could be like, ah, I don't want this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Think of all the people yeah. who lot though, that Cosby sure is funny. Let me get a Cosby tattoo. Bet you they're regretting that. Yeah, Getting a big Chris Hemsworth on, like, your back or something would be the most hardest thing to cover up. Yeah. Like, how, how, how do we blend this? You know what you do? we turn him into a tree? You no, know, you groucho mustache and glasses, and you move on. <laughs> that could be anybody under that uh, glasses and mustache. That's what you do. Now, despite the worldwide success of Amanda Marshall's uh, first release, didn't do all that well in America. Americans weren't listening to it. It only got to number 156 on the Billboard charts. I don't get it, but it's something you, we'll have to scratch s- our heads about as we go along. You saw the clip that I dropped when she did the uh, the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yeah. Sir Elton John vouches for you, says, I've been listening to this CD. He tracked her down in Alberta, in like Jasper, and said, called her just to say, <laughs> I loved your album. You think that wouldn't do anything with the fucking crocodile rock? vouching for your record yeah you know i've got it verbatim in here so at least this is i I found the transcript from when he was on rosie talking about it and she asked him uh you know what are you listening to these days and he goes oh amanda marshall right away and uh rosie's like oh yeah she's great she was here last week she goes isn't birmingham a good song and elton john went birmingham's a good song but dark horse is a guaranteed hit and sure enough, Dark Horse would become, like, one of the biggest hits off this album. In fact, let's get into singles right now. I'll skip all the lead up. <laughs> we can talk about um, Dark Horse, which would top the AC charts. It was, to date, her only number one hit single in Canada. Um, I think that that endorsement had something to do with it. I agree with that. Yeah, Sorry, I thought you're. I thought you were going to keep talking. I know you're looking for my. No, approval. no, no. I, I want to get into Dark Horse right away because we're talking about Elton John and Dark Horse is the one that he put over. Um, God, that really is a great song. Um, well, it's it's funny because when I was editing the our little video, you mm-hmm. asked me to take Dark Horse out in, ta- in place because of Birmingham. I, no, no, I wanted you to take Dark Horse out to replace it with Love Lift Me because you didn't have anything in the promo from Tuesday's Child. <laughs> no, Frenchman's wave me. Don't Frenchman's wave me. Like that bookie guy on The Simpsons. You got to go with the winners. And I know the winners. <laughs> Can't give me that. You know what's funny, though? Until I worked in Caledonia. I never knew that Dark Horse was even Amanda Marshall's song. Because my sister really? had that... You remember the compilation Woman and Song? They put yeah. out a couple volumes of it. So she had the first volume. And Dark Horse is on there, but it's performed by this country singer named Mila Mason. 
And Mila Mason huh. released her version of Dark Horse just a couple of months after Amanda released hers. You know what that, that one did? Number 21 in the American country charts and number 12 in Canada. It outperformed Amanda's version, the original, that this girl's covering. It's Ridiculous. It's country. That's why. This is hogwash. <laughs> it's hot garbage. It's Dark Horse wash. <laughs> it's Dark Horse hockey. <laughs> Even better. Can't top it. That one's done. <laughs> But look, like I said, seven singles on this album, including Dark Horse. And, um, well, the first thing I wrote here was it's probably not a Brian Last album because not a whole lot of deep cuts. But the three three tunes on here that weren't uh, released as singles were um, Promises. That one's okay. Probably the weakest on the album. It's the last track. Let's Get Lost, which is a good tune. But Last Exit to Eden. I thought that was an awesome song. And that could have very yeah. well been a big hit if she wanted to release an eighth single. Oh, yeah. So. I, that's. The, when all the uh, songs on this album are this good, it's, it's like a Born in the USA when there's so many singles, but they're all quality tracks. That's a great comparison. Because, like, we were talking about last week with Blue Rodeo, how they'd get into the studio and every album would be, like, as long as it could possibly be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's Amanda. She cuts out all the chuffa. Ten great songs. <laughs> They're like five, four or five minutes or longer songs. But you don't sit there and get bored by them. You know what I mean? You're no. into it. So this is why I'm thinking. I would say this is a pop masterpiece. This is exactly oh, yeah. how you want to put out a debut album. Ten tracks. All killer, no filler. Single worthy radio hits. It's great. Yeah. I don't know how this thing didn't catch in the states i'm i'm baffled but well i sorry you i don't want to get ahead you go ahead well i had a theory i got a theory why it didn't come out in the states so hold on well let's go in these in chronological order just to make it easier for the release okay first single lead off track on the album was let it rain I love Let It Rain. I think that's an awesome song. It peaked at number five in the adult contemporary charts in Canada. It did very well in Norway. Like I said, the Norsemen love Amanda Marshall. Peaked at number three. It's actually technically a cover song since songwriter Kristen Hall, who was part of the writing team, actually recorded it for her 94 solo album. Uh, Let It Rain. Man, what a great fucking song. It's because it's, it it's rains it. in Norway in the summer, and that's why they're like, we are used to this. Hey. <laughs> It rains here. Talking often. a bunch of German even, robots. I don't. I don't know how to do it. I don't know. It's somewhere in the. It's a hybrid of like a German Swedish accent. I don't know. I remember I'm probably an, offending Jake right oh, now. I am not 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 to offend Norseman, but I do remember an episode of um, Recess, and a new kid came to school. Uh, his name was Yop, and <laughs> because he was new at the school. Yop was the new kid, and Gus was no longer the new kid. So Gus decided he's going to take Yop on as a friend and um, show him around. And uh, Yop would wear like a funny little hat, uh, like with the ear flaps and uh, sweater, even though it was boiling hot. So I think he was he was either a, Nor- a Norseman or an Icelandic or something like that. And he'd be like, "Ooh, Gus, I can tell you're one of the hot kids at the school." So I think that's how they talk in Norway. 
that's like the Swedish chef. Eh, it's a little Swedish chef. You're right. It's a little <laughs> Swedish chef. I gotta make it so many Just Swedish chefs. behind you. What's up with your curtains? There's a big hole in your curtains. <laughs> or your blinds. How would you mind your own business? Apart. How would you mind your own business? <laughs> Jesus, let's stay on track here. So, where was it? You got me completely lost. Like the single, <laughs> like, let's get lost. The not single, the deep track. Okay, where we was it? We just talked about Let It Rain. Let It Rain, and how great a song that was. And it's a great song to kick off the album when you hear that acoustic guitar at the beginning of that. It's good. I, I always thought that something like a Dark Horse or something, just with that piano, would just be a nice, better way to start it. Just ease it in, and, it's, and then it just swells so much and then moves on to the next song. But, I mean... Whatever, they're all good songs, they all bleed into each other. Fair enough. Um, Next up is Birmingham. It remains Marshall's highest charting song. On the Canadian singles charts, not the AC charts. Dark Horse topped AC, this one, number three on the Canadian singles, just to prevent confusion. Um, it would also be Marshall's only single to reach the Billboard charts. Made it to number 43. Birmingham is so much better than reaching number 43. Um, and Marshall said one of the reasons why she didn't think the rest of the album caught on to the States is she got a lot of flack for that song from people in the American South. They thought it was perpetuating stereotypes, that they're all drunken wife beaters, and they all want to secretly get out of the South, and she took a lot of heat for that one. But look at Southern Man. That song is very popular. (laughs) But you got to remember, Neil Young was never trying to sell records. That's true. (laughs) I'm Neil Young. I don't give a shit if you like this. Here we go. Neil Young put out an album and it didn't sell one copy. You know how proud he'd be? Yeah. Oh my god. Mr. Anti-Commercialism right there. He'd be so proud. Um, Birmingham for me is an absolute pop masterpiece. I love how it's got that bit of a hip-hop kind of feel at the beginning and then of course it's got the whole southern flair to it and you get that Kenny G-esque all, uh, soprano sax solo right towards the end. This song puts a big smile on my face because it was one of the ones that I'd hear 5 o'clock in the morning trying to get ready for my uh, morning show in Caledonia and it would just perk me up a little bit. So I've got very good yeah. early in the morning memories of this song. And I remember... Well, especially because of that kind of like R&B beat it's it's also a good like driving tune like if you were if it came on right as you're driving into the station it'd be perfect well it's, it's it, got that groovy drive well, it's about a woman in her car driving the hell out of town away from her drunk abusive husband well that makes sense yeah you know it's, it's that or uh, flats and scrugs for getaway music <laughs> You know, and I remember the first time, I forget what it was, but I was in the car with my dad when this first came out. And we're driving, it was night, I can't remember where we were, but she had that, like, uh, you know, Virgil's pastel with a bottle of Jim Beam on the floor. And I'm like, uh, what the hell is she talking about? And he's like, oh, this guy, Virgil, he's a real jerk. Uh, got drunk, fell asleep, and now his wife's leaving him. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> makes sense. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time I heard that one. Um, up next would be Fall from Grace, which made it to number two. No angels at my another great one beautiful goodbye the big ballad with that big electric piano throughout it that made it to number four we talked about dark horse um and now we're gonna get to my favorite single of the bunch trust me this is love I was shocked to learn that it was actually the weakest performing single on the album. It only got to number four on the single charts and number five on the adult contemporary charts. And I honestly thought this was one of Amanda Marshall's biggest hits for years and years and years. This is one of the top songs I associated with her. So I was surprised to learn that it, it, it didn't do poorly by any means, but it... Need a second? No. Okay, what are you playing all this music for? I was just playing it. I was just listening to it as you were talking. Oh, wow. glad! <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Glad you're listening to me. <laughs> I, I can multitask. Do you know what I've been doing at work today? I was uh, I was listening to. I'm getting trained on a new thing at work, so we're in like a classroom setting via mm-hmm. like Google or uh, the Microsoft Teams. So we're in like this big meeting. So I'm watching the monitor, learning about this new thing in taxes. I got the soccer game on another computer. <laughs> I'm multitasking. I'm zipping and zapping. I'm shucking and jiving. I can do multi things. So just calm yourself. It's easy to do that, though, because you can put the TV on mute. You can't put me on mute. You're certainly not going to put the song you were listening to on mute. It's a little bit tough. You only got two ears, Brian. Well, you got one mouth, and you should shut it. <laughs> it's a podcast. If I were to just keep my mouth shut, it'd be very awkward. Anyway. anyway. Trust Me, This song. Is Love, my favorite song off the uh, album. Brian, singles, songs all together. What was your favorite? I mean, I always got to go with The Dark Horse. I forgot because, yeah. I mean, when I was listening to this, I was surprised how many songs like uh, Trust Me, This Is Love and uh, what was the other one that I hadn't heard since I was probably like 10 years old? I think it was Fall From Grace. I felt like... Yeah, Fall From Grace is, is one that, you, that sometimes you can, you can forget about. And uh, But yeah, so a lot of these really came back to me. It might have been Beautiful Goodbye, but either way, when it, a lot of these just came back to me. I was like, holy shit, I know much more Amanda Marshall yeah. than I ever thought I did. <laughs> I'll tell you, I have a hard time between Trust Me, This Is Love and Birmingham as my favorite. They're... Well, you, I you go got back several weeks. We got like three months before we got to put together the next volume, so you got tons of time to whittle it down. Who says I'll even go from this album? There's a lot more music That's... to go through. Um, let's talk about the Juno Awards, as we usually do on this podcast. Uh, did yeah. I ever mention to you, Brian, that the Juno Awards are weird? <laughs> and because Amanda, she milk this album for a little bit like it takes time to release seven singles it's not like nowadays when drake will put out a new album and every single song is a single and he released them all at the same time and yeah. they're all on the charts at the exact same time you know back then it, you had to do it strategically 
So, and I think it was because of her international success overseas, why this album stayed on the chart for so long. So she was actually eligible for Junos in both 1996 and 1997. But unfortunately, thank you, Junos, she got completely shut out. In 96, she lost Best New Solo Artist to Ashley McIsaac. And in 1997, she'd lose Female Vocalist of the Year to Celine Dion, Best Album to the Tragically Hip's Trouble at the Hen House, and Single of the Year to the Runaway Smash that was Alanis Morissette's Ironic. I believe that was Birmingham that was up for Single of the Year. I could be mistaken. Okay. I can see her losing to Celine Dion because she was a juggernaut. I can see her losing to Alanis Morissette, juggernaut. So even the hip, a Canadian juggernaut. But Ashley McIsaac, that coke snorting. <laughs> you East used to Coast. love Ashley McIsaac. Uh, for a minute. Yeah, but you wanted to get a fiddle, and you thought he was the coolest thing since sliced bread. I had a fiddle. For I forgot you actually had of, a fiddle. I had a fiddle for one week. I couldn't find a teacher, and so my we swapped it in for a guitar. And I, I completely gave up on any of that East Coast stuff and started listening to ska music and slow. <laughs> now, had you, next been Archie on Halifax, had you been on Halifax or somewhere in the Maritimes, I'm sure you would have been able to find a fiddle teacher like that. But that was the thing. Oh, yeah. They want to start you off playing violin. They don't want to teach Ryan you that East that Coast fiddle crap. right away. I know. You want to go from zero to 100 right away. They're like, no, you got to learn this. Mary had a little lamb on the violin before you can turn the violin into a fiddle. I want to go, uh, I want to start sawing right away. Just <laughs> doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, no one was there to teach me regardless. So I, well, no, I it would have no been easy to to, it's easy to find violin lessons. They teach little kids violin in, in elementary school now. Yeah, we got screwed. They we uh, did get screwed the, on that. The, yeah. The next year after we graduated middle school is when they brought in the music program. Yeah, that's true. And so by the time we got into junior band or intermediate band and concert band, there was kids that are like grade nine and tens in concert band that are like light years better than I us. They already been playing for three years. I got usurped for second trombone by a, like for, uh, grade nine. <laughs> that Alex kid with the poofy hey, hair. He was a good trombone player. That guy. he was. He was a really good trombone but, player. And that's that's kind of funny because the trombone in school band it's kind of like that like holograph phone on uh, Futurama where Leela's like there's only 12 people in the world that can play that and they're not very good <laughs> trombone's <laughs> like that when you're young yeah if Before someone is f- adequate at trombone they're amazing yeah like and I was very mediocre but before we move forward let me just do a quick self-edit even though I made fun of Ashley McIsaac, I have all respect for East Coast people because I know my friend Rob listens to this and I don't want to be like, yo, Skiff, what are you harshing the East Coast people for? <laughs> I love the East Coast people. But I do agree. I, I would have given Amanda Marshall Best New Artist over Ashley McIsaac. Yes. I would have wasn't given he, her. Well, wasn't he pretty much a one-hit wonder with Devil in the Kitchen? But it wasn't about hits with him. No one who does instrumental music is out there to make hits. That's fair. His craft is his fiddle. Yeah. You know, he plays that because he did, that's he's an auteur with the fiddle. You know what that's I mean? Fair. There's certain it's it's like trying to call fish with a PH a one hit wonder, but they've never actually had a hit. They're one of the biggest selling bands in the states. They've never had a hit. You think they care? No, they're all about 
you know, smoking dope and doing eight minute guitar solos. I think they didn't they have a hit with Down with Disease? Wasn't that a hit? I don't know if that was ever actually a hit. That's just a song by theirs that's popular. Isn't that, isn't that a definition that's of a hit? No! <laughs> definition of a hit is actually chart performance. Okay. Yes. That's a hit. And then there's popular songs. Hmm. There you go. Alright. Uh, I personally think... <sighs> you know, I, I think that this... And I'm a hip fan. I think this album is better than Trouble at the Hen House. It's a different type of album. Yeah. But... Well, you know what? No, Trouble... Yeah, Trouble at the Hen House, I think, is one of the hip's weaker albums, to be honest with you. You know, is it's it... on that one. Uh, Head by a Century. Right. I think 500 Foot Ceiling. I know you're a big fan. I think that's on there, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, it's 700 Foot. 700 Foot Ceiling. Yeah, it was a, it's a big ceiling. What do you want? <laughs> um, it's Brian Last Ceiling. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, not only did Amanda herself get shut out, but so did the team working with her. Uh, David Tyson, who I think should have won easily for producer of the year. Uh, he lost that award to Michael Philip Wojewoda for his work with the Waltons and Ashley McIsaac. And uh, Dean McTaggart would lose Songwriter of the Year to Alanis Morissette, but Jagged Little Pill was a runaway train, so Wait, you can't Dean really McTaggart, fault him isn't that the guy who's also an actor? Or am I thinking of oh, Dean some, someone else? I think I'm thinking of someone this else. This is the guy that wrote Black Velvet from right. earlier when I was talking about their team. Who are you thinking? Are you thinking of Dylan McDermott? No, there's that Are you thinking Dean... of Dermot Mulrooney? No, there's that guy that's married to uh, what's her face. He's a Canadian actor. He was on that <gasps> show Power Play. Dean McDermott? I, no, Dean. The guy was on all those cooking shows. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's a douche. <laughs> no, I'm serious. He was married to this um, cooking show host that my parents used to watch her cooking show all the time. Um, and he cheated on her with Tori Spelling. That's who she's. And then yeah. he's cheated on Tori Spelling a bunch of times. Wow. Yeah, no, that guy's a piece of shit. Pardon I my mean, French. I am not. I'm not one for cheating, but especially even if you were not in love with the person, hold it together because you get all that Aaron Spelling money in the will. <laughs> like even if you're gonna marry for not marry for money, hold it together. And he cheated on her multiple times too. Like they he. Cheat on her, they get back together, he'd do it again with someone else. What a dirt sack. And he still gets to host Chop Canada. Fuck you. <laughs> Chop his fucking nuts off. There you go. Give the cleaver to Tori Spelling, let her have a couple of hacks. <laughs> there you go. All right. As you could tell, I loved, 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 loved the self-titled album. Not only is Marshall's voice in top form here, but the production is fantastic. I love how it bounces effortlessly. I can't read my own writing. Effortless. Even when I tried to slow it down, I can't read it. One more time. Effortless. Effortlessly. Effortlessly. There you go. Between, I had to watch my lips on the camera to get that out. <laughs> Between pop, hip-hop, country, rock, and blues, it's easily one of the best Canadian pop albums of all time and one of the best debut albums of all time. That's how I feel. This thing is magnificent. Yeah, it is just a, it is a smash. As Teddy likes to say, it's a full of bops. It is full the of kids, bops. This is you the, can't stop the, the kids. The kids today would say it slaps. I fucking hate when people say it. <laughs> it's not on oh, fleek. It drives me nuts. It's not on fleek, Brian. 
wow, Ted, can you go back like six years and that <laughs> expression was popular? Mine's, why don't you bring back the one from our high school years and say mint? It was mint. You know, they still say mint in Thunder Bay. That's still a thing. That's because you people are like nine years behind the times. Ah, enough out of you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so here's the thing. Oh, well, your, your final thoughts on the album. Do you want to get any more out on the self-titled? I think we've uh, shone more than enough love on this thing. It's fantastic. So one of the things you do, one of the strategies that the label had was, okay, we're putting this album out here and Americans aren't buying it. So why don't we take a couple of songs that didn't make the cut for the album and we sneakily hide them in popular romantic comedies? There's let me ask idea. you before you before you finish that thought. Let me ask you one quick question. Yeah. I uh, remember like many moons ago when we talked about a Conline crush and their album got delayed a, a year from the American release from the yes, Canadian it was delayed release. Delayed release. Yeah. Uh, did that happen with Amanda Marshall or was it like boom boom same date? Do you know off the top of your head? I will have to look this up. Okay. Let me throw some Amanda Marshall under this. The only release date that Wikipedia gives me is um, October 17th, 1995. Huh. Is that your brother's birthday? Yes, it is. Well, look at that! Happy uh, eighth <laughs> birthday, Alex! <laughs> there you go. You're getting an Amanda Marshall album for your birthday. <laughs> you should get him that this year. Like this oh, came out on your eighth birthday. I should. And then you can get that Blue Rodeo album uh, that came out when yeah. you were five and uh, got everyone fixed up. <laughs> there we go. So let me find a, an album that was released on my anniversary. And I've got all the bases covered. <laughs> all right. Um, where were I? Yes. So when the album's not, when they're not buying the album. What you do is you take a couple songs that didn't make the cut for the album and you slip them into a couple of romantic comedies and get them on the soundtrack. So in 1997, Amanda had songs in the movie Tin Cup. This could take all night. That was in Tin Cup. And I'll Be Okay, which was featured in My Best Friend's Wedding. Uh, listen, I didn't get a chance to listen to This Could Take All Night, but this is I'll Be Okay. And it kind of starts like, ah, this might be one of the weaker ones on the album. Okay, I get it why uh, it didn't make it. And then I listened to the rest of it, and I was like, ah, this is awesome. It was one of those ones that kind of starts <laughs> slow, and then you're by the end of it, you're singing along. Um, did you yeah. see either Tin Cup or My Best Friend's Wedding? And which one is better? Uh, I've seen Tin Cup. Uh, the only Hugh Grant... Uh, Julia Roberts movie I've ever seen is because uh, they've been in a few together I think well if, Hugh, if Grant, Hugh Grant was not in My Best Friend's Wedding really? you're thinking of er, Rupert Everett was the English the Englishman who played right. our gay best friend uh, yeah, actually it was the guy we just mentioned who was in there was Dermot Mulroney he was the love interest oh okay yeah. uh, I've seen Notting Hill <laughs> the, the oh, different yeah. dynamic this was a different movie different movie yeah, but, uh, yeah. I see. I saw Tin Cup. I like that movie. I like. My tin dad cup. likes Tin Cup. <laughs> Do you ever see the Bob's Burgers episode where they talk about Tin Cup? No. So Bob holds this guy hostage, and then the guy gets a package delivered to him. So he holds like the package delivery guy. He's a food critic. He's holding hostage. It turns out the package the guy got was uh, Tin Cup on DVD. 
And he's like, tin cup? You like tin cup? And then one of the other guys is like, I like tin cup. And uh, Linda's like, what do you mean? You don't like tin cup, Bob? He goes, no, it's a bad movie. And he's like, how do you know it's a bad movie? I read a review. And then the lesson is, reviews aren't always correct. And then at the end, Bob's watching tin cup and loving it. You know, okay, first of all, I'm surprised Gene wasn't in there. I don't like like tin cup. God, this guy's voice is so annoying. I love Gene. He's a wiener. He's funny, but he is a wiener. But also, you and our friends in high school were all the big uh, review readers. I tried to get you to see a few movies, and you're like, these reviews aren't very good. I'm like, screw the reviews. Just see it. To be fair, I'm still like that to this day. Ugh. I still go on, oh, God, I got Holy. <laughs> there we go. But uh, to be fair, I'm still like that to this day. I, uh, I go on Rotten Tomatoes all the time. I'm always checking the reviews. In I mean, fact, I'll check it to you know go that, in with some expectations, but uh, if I if the trailer yeah, well, looks good the, to me, I'll see it. That's all I care one about. Of the reasons, if it looks good to me. One of the one of the reasons why I didn't rush out and see the second Wonder Woman movie because I'm a Marvel guy. I'll watch all the Marvels regardless. DC, different story. So the Wonder yeah. Woman movie I didn't watch because it didn't get very good reviews. The second one, the first one was great. Second one I didn't watch because it didn't get very good reviews. Um, but then. The Suicide Squad movie that's coming out this weekend, it's getting pretty good reviews. I think I'm going to check yeah. it out. To quote... Uh, How to, to quote the late, great Lawrence Tierney, what does he say? He's like, you don't need this when you got instinct. I got instinct. <laughs> I, you don't need proof when you got instinct. Yeah, that's it. And Because uh, I had bad instincts about the second Wonder Woman, and after the initial uh, trailers... The, you know, the shock and awe of the first Suicide Squad with the Queen and all those, like, flashy edits. Yeah. When they had a more in-depth trailer, I'm like, this seems so kerfuffled. The, more, the closer was, and closer I got... a good way to describe that movie. The closer and closer I got to that movie, the more I was concerned. And then by the time I saw it, I was like, this is the biggest hunk of shit I've ever seen. But no, the second Suicide Squad looks amazing. Yeah, so, I don't know, I gotta figure out how to watch it. Uh, oh, there we go. Excuse vaccinated. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, you don't, you don't even have to be vaccinated to go to the movies. Oh, I know. But the I, can, I, can sit there, I can sit there with the mask on and watch it, but I just, you know, rather watch it from the comforts of my home now. It's possible but to do. They didn't, uh, that's not a HBO or a HBO Max or whatever, right? That's only theatrical? Uh, I, I think it is right now, but uh, yeah, it might be. I don't know. I got to look through all the on-demand shit tonight and see if I can find it. Because, you know, some things you can just order, like, through the TV that are new to theaters now. Right. Really? You know, it costs you money. Yeah, they'll, they'll charge you in a cable bill, but you can do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's talk about June 22nd, 1999. That is when Amanda would release her sophomore album, Tuesday's Child. Now, to produce this album. Sophomore. Are you going to give me crap every time I say sophomore? Yeah. I, bit I saw my you shaking I your head. I wanted to. <laughs> anyway, to produce this album, Marshall recruited the legendary Don Waz, who aside from producing albums for Bonnie Raitt, and by the way, Bonnie Raitt, Amanda Marshall, that's a good fit. Yeah. Yeah, both very bluesy, both great voices, although Bonnie Raitt's is different. Amanda is very powerful, Bonnie Raitt's very smooth. So, a little different. Uh, but no, he produced for Bonnie Raitt, the B-52s, Bob Dylan, and the Rolling Stones. But Don Waz was also the bass player for the funk band was was not 
And of course, they're best known for their giant hit single in 1987. Brian, get ready to play it. Walk the Dinosaur. Goodbye. I walk the dinosaur. Open the door, get on the floor, everybody rock the dinosaur. Yeah, that was a big uh, favorite of mine when I was two years old. And you better play that clip. Because I'll tell you, one night I... I how I, do you know... How do you know that that was a favorite of yours when you were two? No one has memories from when they were two. I'm thinking to myself, this song's awesome! Maybe it was a little bit later, they're still playing it on the radio. But I thought that song was awesome. And in fact, right. I thought it was so awesome... I did it at karaoke a couple of years ago. I was practicing it, looking at the lyrics, trying it out. I did it and got such a cold reception from the crowd. <laughs> I even walked around like a dinosaur on the stage and nothing. Nada. No dice. <sighs> Just wasn't in my wheelhouse, I guess. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, maybe, maybe the sophisticated Thunder Bay crowd didn't appreciate the dinosaur. <laughs> Now, the, the, the karaoke DJ loved the fact that I was singing it. It's probably because he was like some guy who's like, look at me, I love the 80s, or whatever the hell that song came out. He's probably some like hipster doofus who's like, looks like yeah, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> anyway, Wise and Marshall's own growing reputation helped draw in some big guest stars on this album. Uh, bon Jovi's guitar player, Richie Zambora, plays a killer solo on the track Why Don't You Love Me. And singer-songwriter Carol King co-wrote the song Right Here All Along and sings back up on it. I actually kind of thought that was a weird one, Right Here All Along. I think I said it was a bit of a mess, but Amanda kind of made it work. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That was an odd one. Uh, but one of the big things about this album was that Amanda Marshall really really took a hold of her writing stuff. And remember, we talked about this earlier, Brian, how you said you make that first album for you, and then later on, you, more and more the label will get control over it. This was kind of the reverse. You know, Amanda listened to the label, she got all the big singles out, and then she's like, all right, number two, I want to have more say here. And she had her, she, so for the first album, she only had three writing credits. She had a writing credit on every song but one. The song Wishful Thinking was the only song she didn't write. So if you didn't like that song, don't blame Amanda. Now, it was a big hit in Canada, achieving triple platinum status and reaching number four on the charts. Did very well in Germany and Switzerland as well, but I couldn't find anything on the Norwegian album sales for Tuesday's Child. So I think those <laughs> dirty Norsemen had moved on by then. <laughs> Five singles were released from this album, including Why Don't You Love Me? Number 26 on the AC charts. Um, I wrote, I like this one, perfect for a movie trailer. I could see them playing that in a movie. Uh, Shades of Grey, which made it to number 25 on the singles charts. And I thought that Shades of Grey was easily the best song on this album. In our darkest hour, all just shades of gray. I loved how personal those lyrics were. And 
uh, really, she's coming into her own as a songwriter because that thing is all about being born biracial and the racism that you'll face even from within your own family, like she got. And having that unique perspective and finally getting to put it out there, loved it. And she had If I Didn't Have You, which picked, peaked at number 11 on the adult contemporary charts. There's nothing that I wouldn't do. And charted at number 150 in the UK. This is the one that begins with that Barry Manilow-esque whistling. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I like that one. I like that one, too. That's another one of my favorites. Now, the first two singles from this album, though, they were the monster hits. You had I Believe in You. Which released, which got to number three on the AC charts. It charted at number 75 in Germany. And it was featured on an episode of, get this, Match Made in Heaven, literally, Touched by an Angel. Wow. A song called I Believe in You is featured on Touched by an Angel. And it kind of brings me to this point. Did you notice that Tuesday's Child had a lot of, like, biblical themes in the lyrics? I did. Yeah, she yeah. talked about Jesus a few times and, and uh, heaven, like, a little, Heaven Bunch. Look at uh, love lift me. I mean, you could talk about yeah. like a religious religious love or spiritual love that lifts you up, right? That's all. I've been to church. That's half of those songs is all about lifting people up, and it's like, <laughs> Lord carries me to the. And it's Maybe like it's half of those strategic. songs. Maybe I, she I, was. Ne- she, well, she's very private. So yeah. I've never been able to find in. Uh, an interview where she talks about religion or what her religious beliefs were, but you know, doing that powerful, uplifting stuff without necessarily being a Christian artist was something that was selling at the time. You know, like it worked for Creed. Remember, we're yeah. not a Christian rock band, but we're gonna sing about God in every song. That <laughs> was funny. I was gonna say, uh, well, also, you know, I, sometimes you got to have that separation of church and state because, you know, if let's say on one album you get too spiritual or something like that and you start talking about God and then the next album you want to go a different direction like she kind of did in the next album. She got a little oh, more time. funky big time. and stuff. And so, like, if if. Imagine if the religious right all of a sudden came out after her and was like, this is too sexual. What kind of a Christian woman are you? And it's like, you can't win. So it's like, that's why you got to keep that shit out of the press if you can help it. I mean, no, everyone's well, entitled to their own beliefs, but I wouldn't like, you know, Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem, who we love, uh, has said he's a Christian, but he tries to put it, not put it in his music because A, there's two Jewish guys in the band and... Well, the band's no more, but uh, but also he, those those views are for him only. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not going to push it on the band. Yeah, exactly. But when you have a song like I Believe in You, and you've got a very Christian-themed, very popular television show like Touched by an Angel, yeah, they do marry quite well together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so that got her some... Uh, 
additional spins from that. Also, oddly enough, it was in, in, a, in a direct-to-DVD Muppet movie called Kermit the Swamp Years, which yeah. uh, I missed out on. Love <laughs> Lift Me was the other big bopper. We talked about that. It got to number five on the AC charts. Love preachy but i really really love it big chorus big guitars big everything this is amanda finding a song where she can project and be as powerful with that voice as possible yeah well it's it's funny when i was listening to it i went to the other day i was at the gym and i'm sitting there trying trying to do some abs and i'm listening to this song and the, I never noticed that. Like, it's funny that you mentioned Creed because it to me it had like the adult contempo version yeah. of a Creed song, because the way those Creed songs really swell and build just like this one did. Yeah, and I can imagine that being great if you're on the treadmill, like ah, just five more minutes, five more minutes. Now, I can imagine that being great for that. Go full Dougie Heffernan. <laughs> he was listening to Angel, uh, Angels of Centerfold. Yeah. Remember that he's singing it and the tape yeah. machine breaks. Uh, what's it called? Uh, the one that line I love in that where she's like uh, something like "Love is a mirror, calls you at midnight and ties up the line." I was like, "All right, I love the way she's putting that. You know, love it. It consumes your life, calls you at midnight, ties up the line." But how quickly dated that would become? Because call yeah. waiting would come in. <laughs> in like the early two thousands, everyone had call waiting, and then everyone has cell phones now. It's odd, but sometimes they'll call a business here in town and they won't have an answering machine or call waiting and you will be stuck and having to call back and you'll still get the busy signal and everything like that. Well, call waiting was the thing back in the 90s because there's a whole episode about... Oh, yeah, the click, uh, the click. Yeah. Yeah, because remember the episode of Seinfeld where Jerry was caught between that one girl and the stepmother about being on the higher on the speed dial? Yeah. And then he's he keeps being bounced between the two the two uh, people and you had to put them on call waiting so that's been around for a while but do you remember Um, when you first got your first cell phone and call waiting and all these things for extra features yes and you had to pay for it now it's just like part of it and voicemail was an extra feature yeah text messaging was an extra feature (laughs) jeez the stone age man the stone age I know (laughs) I remember how terrible pictures used to be on your phone. Oh man, I I have a folder on my Facebook profile where it's like just like old, old shit flip photos phone from, from my first iPhone. Not from my flip phone, but from my first oh, okay. iPhone because that camera was such dog shit too. But yeah. oh boy, well I'll tell you what, another one of my favorite tracks on this album, just because it's super upbeat and it kind of reminds me of like an '80s montage workout song was Ride. I thought Ride. I was, was about really to say that was one of my favorites. Yeah. Now, did Ride sound familiar to you at all? Probably. If I listened to it one more time, I'd probably get it. But why? What are you thinking? I uh, know it was it was featured in a, a popular movie that I know you own on DVD, which is a lot of movies. But it was the <laughs> Keanu Reeves football classic, The Replacements. Oh. So I can only imagine, you know, I was going to the other night when I found this out, put on the replacements, because I've, I've never seen it. 
And I was going to try to see where this song was featured. I got to imagine it's in a training montage. Probably. Yeah. I have to double check. Want to talk about the Junos? Always. You know, 2000 was the year that the Moffats hosted the Junos. So they're already weird without us talking about uh, (laughs) how Amanda did. Unfortunately, she'd go 0 for 3. She lost Best Female Artist to Chantel Kreviasek. She lost Best Songwriter to Shania Twain. And Tuesday's Child came up short for Best Album. And it was Alanis Morissette again that beat her from her supposed former infatuation junkie album. Um, is that the one with Don't Drink the Water? I hate that song. No, Don't Drink the Water is Dave Matthews' band, and I love that song. Atlantis just sing back, sings back up on it. That's like one of my favorite Dave Matthews' band songs. This song's awesome. Really? Oh, fucking love that song. I I heard it when I was a kid. I remember watching the music video, and I thought it just sounded so like, eh. I haven't listened to it since. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll appreciate it more. There's a banjo going on in there, and you got Leroy Moore, the late great Leroy Moore, blaring away on the sax. Oh, it's awesome! All right, I just remember Alanis Morissette sounding very shrill and cheeky. Well, she's at the very end, and she is like just shrieking and wailing. But you listen to it in the right mood, man, it'll haunt you. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan of that tune. Um, yeah, I think that the Junos are getting these all wrong. Like. I don't want to paint any disrespect. Does that shock you? Well, no, like... Okay. Let's talk just about vocal quality. Yeah. How does how does Amanda Marshall lose to Chantal Kreviazic? I'm not trying to talk shit about Chantal Kreviazic, but... Amanda's one of the best singers in Canada. Yeah. Like, how... Chantal ah, Kreviazic is a fine singer. answers here. She's okay. But she just doesn't have... I mean, I've... Granted, I haven't done extensive research into her, but we she might. doesn't strike we me might. as the type. <laughs> she doesn't strike me as the type who has just such a strong wailing presence that can really take yeah. the stage. And the stuff where she did really, really wail on it, like a lot of her early work, she would. By this point, this is when she was doing that. Like now, I think I'll get through the end of the world. You know, and I'm not trying to imitate her voice. I'm just not a good singer. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, that's fine song, but come on, come on, give Amanda something. <sighs> what was Vanessa Carlton? Sorry, I'm thinking of Vanessa Carlton. What was Chantel Crevy Isaac's other big song? Uh, she had that. She well, she did the cover of "Leaving on a Jet Plane" for Armageddon. Right, that's what I thought. Um, she had uh, Wayne. Wayne's a good song. Wayne, pray for me. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, but she even had, right um, there, surrounded. Like the, but that was the, from I, her previous album. I'm just talking about late '90s Chantel. Yeah, like the the "Leaving on a Jet Plane" song. Like I'm sure that's what she was trying to go for, but it just sounded so like wimpy. Just no no muscle behind it. Whereas like. Even even if Amanda Marshall had to do that song, she would have done it better. In my opinion, like she would have been like, "So kiss me," you know. What I mean, just like completely let it. She'd be able, they'd be able to hear Amanda Marshall from the, the from the <laughs> meteor. You on know, Earth. but they, uh, uh, leaving on a jet plane falls in that category of songs that have just been covered. A hundred million times. And I know why they had her covered hey, for that Slightly soundtrack. Stupid does a great cover. They did because they did it differently from anyone else. You know what they should have done if they really wanted to get what? sales? They should have just gotten Michael Clark Duncan to record the version of Leaving on a Jet Plane for the uh, soundtrack <laughs> and release that. 
I'd listen to that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I remember watching like Flynn for that. I was hanging out with my dad one night, like two years ago, I was visiting, and Armageddon was on TV. Yeah. It was like a Sunday night, and that scene was on, and my dad's like <laughs> slapping his knee because he thought Michael Clark Duncan was, Duncan was so funny. You know, I remember when we went to go see it, I loved it, and you yeah, hated it. Really? You I hated it! Liking. Yes, no, you hated it! You said the more you thought about it, Affleck was a pud. You thought he should have gotten killed and not Bruce Willis. Spoiler warning. And you hate it. You shat all over it. And I'm like, no, man, it's a classic. It's going to be like Independence Day. We're going to talk about it forever. And then everyone suddenly just jumped on the Armageddon hate train. And now everyone's come back to Armageddon like it's a big classic. I think it's one of those things that it's... What's good is bad, or what's bad is good. Well, it's also like people are now talking about Michael Man, uh, not Michael Man, Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. Like he's some tour now, when previously yeah. he was just a guy that schlock. Well, he was just a he's a big popcorn pick guy. Yeah. I still haven't seen any of the bad boys. I saw the first one, but I saw it on TV, so there was all, no the, all the fun cursing was cut yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I, like you know, I'm trying to think. Michael Bay. I saw Pearl Harbor and I hated it. Um, I've actually never seen The Rock start to finish. The only trans what? Yeah, I've never seen it start to finish. The only Transformer movies I saw was the first one. I only saw the first one. Saw Armageddon. So I saw what's it called um Pearl Harbor didn't like it. I never saw the uh the beach. I never saw the um Oh, I heard uh, the beach stunk. The, the Mark Wahlberg one. Never saw that. Uh, so which I've, one? Uh, the one with uh, him and The Rock and Anthony Mackie and they're selling steroids. Oh, that one's really good, actually. Is that really good? Yeah. Okay. I love that one. And uh, and also, I mean, in terms of the Transformers ones, you can skip the Mark Wahlberg one. Three is entertaining, but it's eh. But what? one and two are good. I'll, I'll actually give one and two not an ironic thumbs up, just a solid, like, fun thumbs up. Yeah, they're fun I is what know. they are. The first one didn't blow me away. I had no interest in the other ones. But I will say, I just love, I love Shia LaBeouf being a freaking thing. <sighs> Shia LaBeouf, though, you know, I know that everyone came back around on him and they're trying to say what a great actor he is now after shitting on him. He's just like Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> I always no, I thought just... Shia LaBeouf sounded, when he acted, he sounded like a guy who was trying to remember his lines. Something in his voice. He was just a little too well, serious. He sounded like he was trying to remember everything. Yeah, but the the, the reason why I like the Transformers movies is because he has a good rapport. Because a lot of his scenes are with his fake t- movie dad, Kevin Dunn. Well, Kevin and, Dunn's uh, a good character actor. And the the movie, or the sorry, the mom. She's been in a bunch of stuff, but I forget yeah, her name. Yeah, she's a good but, character. Uh, Julie White, I believe. It could be Julia. It might just be Julie. God. I think it's Julie. Never go against this guy in trivia. I'm he has so much. Shit. Re- good with shit. Like people yeah. compliment me, but I'm just like, you haven't met my buddy. He he can crush me. Well, she was on that but show, yeah. uh, Grace Under Fire. She played right. Grace's best friend. Um, but yeah, like a lot of those scenes with them is really funny. And then in the second movie, he gets he gets really spastic, and it just makes me I don't know. It entertains me. I think it's funny because he's just like this goofy <laughs> spaz. Yeah, he's having but, all these visions. He's writing shit on a chalkboard, and yeah, and he he tries yeah, to show up. Yeah. Ray, Rain Wilson is a really creepy uh, astrology professor, 
astronomy, sorry. Okay. And uh, there's this scene where he's eating an apple, and all of these like coeds, these young coeds, are hanging on his every word. He's one of those professors, yeah. and he like does this creepy thing where he like kicks the apple to a, a girl, and she's like acting like it's like Jesus bestowing like a gift of wine or something. They're like, <laughs> this girl's like, thank you. It's like he's definitely gonna get fucked later. Um, and then she starts eating the apple, but the, so he he gets uh, he gets these visions, and he goes on to the board, and he's just spastically writing all this shit. It's so it's very entertaining, right. and he storms out of the the lecture hall with like all these books, and the pages are falling out. <laughs> this guy, he's like too close to him. He's like, watch out, watch out! Ah! He starts freaking out. It makes me it's just so ridiculous. It's entertained me. I, I don't know. I'm gonna watch it tonight oh, after I'm done editing. Well, thank you, Chantel Kreviazic, for being Amanda Marshall for Female Songwriter of the Year, because we would not would have not gone on this long Michael Bay rant that led into this uh, Brian Last Shia LaBeouf impression. Also, watch the movie, uh, the David Ayer War movie. What's Fury. that called? Fury. 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 He's good in that, too. So. Or maybe. All right. I'm not saying the guy's flawless, but I'm just saying he's got some good performances. So I thought Tuesday's Child was a solid outing. Uh, it wasn't the masterpiece that her first one was. But, you know, you can't do you know the Mona Lisa twice. Uh, there's still a lot of good songs here. And Amanda's powerful voice actually saves a couple of them from being disasters, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, if it was in the hands of someone else, it might not have been as successful. And uh, we talked about the biblical theme. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was it probably like a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I really liked the song. Aside from Ride, I really liked um, uh, Best to Me. I really liked that one a lot. Yeah. And that was a good one towards the end of the album. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. Six and a half, seven out of ten. Yeah, it's a solid album. Uh, so for a third album, Everybody's Got a Story, Marshall decided to take a different approach. She elected to tone down the adult contemporary pop sound of Tuesday's Child um, and instead produced an album that was very hip-hop and R&B influenced. Now, to do this, she recruited producers Billy Mann and Peter Asher. Mann has won multiple Grammy Awards and specializes in pop, producing and writing for artists like Pink, The Backstreet Boys, Celine Dion. Even your boys in Holland Oats have worked with this guy, Brian. <laughs> While Asher is actually a commander in the British Empire. And he made up one half of the British pop group Peter and Gordon. He's a bona fide legend working with Linda Ronstadt, Ringo Starr, and Cher. And needless to say, his crowning achievement, we talk about pop classics, he produced the pop classic by James Taylor, Sweet Baby James. So this guy's got some credit. Amanda was in pretty good hands on this album. Sales for Everybody's Got a Story were very good. Made it to number 15 in the Canadian charts and achieved platinum status. And it also generated a minor buzz in Germany. She's only done well in Germany. Peaked at number 79. Um, Again, American artists, uh, American, not artists, but uh, critics, they largely ignored this. Uh, Didn't chart in the U.S., but it did get a very positive review from Entertainment Weekly. They gave it an A-, which is pretty good. Um, She put up five singles. She doesn't stop making hits. Um, And aside from the voice inside, which didn't chart, they all did pretty well in the Canadian singles charts. Um, 
And, you know, the voice inside's a decent bop, but it's not one of her strongest singles. I had Sunday yeah. Morning After, which made it to number 20. song it's a lot of fun but it's a little bit weird because you know like amanda's got that big voice so i don't think you'd ever hear like a celine dion or an aretha franklin doing a song about a hangover but it was it was last friday night before Katy perry did it it was it's, it's the exact same thing as last friday night but she's having fun here and this is an album that's a little bit more fun than the other two certainly more fun than tuesday's yeah. child um Double Agent. Now, Double Agent's a fantastic song, and this is the one I wanted to get into earlier in the show. It's another example of Amanda expressing her unique point of view. Um, plus, I love how the one part of the song, she's like, told you everybody's got a story. A little call back to the first song of the <laughs> yeah. album. I really like that. Uh, but again, it's personal lyrics about being biracial and being a black woman, but with white features. And yeah. looking at Amanda, I didn't know when I first saw her that she was uh, biracial. And I remember the first time I heard the song, they played it on like Chum FM. And you know, she, she says the N word in the song. In the context of it, she's talking about a white guy who calls all his white friends that, right? And how yeah. she finds it hurtful. Um, they didn't bleep it out. But I also didn't know that she was biracial. So I think I came into you to that next day complaining, like, this Amanda Marshall. And she put this song on the radio and she's saying this word? And I couldn't believe it. And then I listened to the song again. And that first line, she's like, haven't you ever noticed that, you know, my hair is curly like this? And uh, Oh, yeah. shit, she's black. I had no idea. So it opened my eyes to a larger, larger things at play here. And... Um, I don't know. I, I like those personal tracks, and I like hearing her point of view because it's unique. So, uh, Double yeah. Agent's a big winner for me. Um, yeah, that that was good. Yeah, Marry Me topped out at number nineteen. Baby, marry me. I uh, wish I had known about this song back when I was DJing weddings because uh, it's always tough to figure out ceremony music when you're DJing weddings, and Marry Me would be perfect. Just an easy play as people are walking in there. That would oh, be yeah. nice. Uh, and the title track, of course, I know that's a huge favorite of yours. Everybody's got a story. Made it yeah. to number six. Brian, what makes Everybody's Got a Story such a great song? You see my bra underneath my shirt. Watch the wind underneath my skirt. But that ain't the picture. It's just a part. Everybody's got a story. I could It's just, I mean, first of all, you know, we've like how we talked about, uh, you know, Prozac's Biaz, how like nobody's yeah. talking about, you know, gay rights or anything. It's just a general equality back in like the t late 90s, early two. Like they were, but it just, they were and they weren't, if that makes sense. Like they weren't writing like very songs like that hit you over the head about it. Sure. Like, and so like in this song, you know, this is song about, you know, don't make. Pre, uh, prejudicial statements about people don't make assumptions based on you know how they look how they carry themselves you know the, so that kid who we teased like 
could be being abused at home. So no yeah. wonder he's upset when he comes to school the next day. Uh, or so-and-so's mother could be sick. Uh, you think, you know, just because someone behind the counter is making your food that they're, you know, an idiot. And you think that you could be condescending to them when they yeah. could, you know, they could have taken this job for, you know, out of desperation when their life took a turn. You know what I mean? So it just, it's a, it's a great song about just not judging a book by its cover. And it just got a nice beat, it. that little guitar and everything. It's, yeah. I honestly think, and I agree with you saying about that statement, I... It's a simple thing about just being kind to one another. Yeah. But I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying this. I think that like the world is just kind of starting to now get this. That everyone's got a story, you know, they could be going through shit on a personal level, don't give them a hard time. Because let's face it, back then we were all dicks. At least people our yeah. age. We're yeah. incredibly judgmental people. Now I think people going, hey, give Brian a, go easy on Brian. He might be having a short fuse today, but he might be going through some shit. Now no. we're starting to go through that. And now, hey, are you okay? You know, it's more socially acceptable to go up to someone that you barely know. Hey, man, are you okay? That Actually, was back I, then. Do you remember this story? I don't know if I told it to you because I was in such a sad place. Um, when we went and saw the Gaslight Anthem like two weeks after Malcolm's funeral. Yeah. And I literally, I was in it for two songs. And then I had to go sit in a corner. I was literally at the back of the room, bawling my eyes out, yeah. just sitting in a corner. And some guy, because of where uh, where I was sitting, he I was at the Sound Academy, and he comes in. This is your spot at the Sound Academy, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're a little called, perch by the bar. And so, well, I, I had to go away from that spot, oh, and okay. I had to sit, sit down, and I was sitting right by the door. It's just like... I don't know, one of Gaslight's songs has hit me the wrong way and on the wrong day and I was just bawling my eyes out and uh, and he come, this guy comes up to me, he's like, I don't know what's going on man, but it's going to be okay and he like patted me on the back and then went and enjoyed the show it's just like a nice human moment I wish more people would do that I really yeah. do, and I think we're finally getting there where more people feel comfortable doing that because of how much it would mean to someone and, yeah, um, yeah I, wish, I wish we listened to Amanda back then and people are a lot yeah. nicer to each other back then. You know, I had a, a weird... I remember, okay, so I don't know why. The first time I started thinking about this as being a bit of a deeper song um, yeah. was when I worked at Let's Celebrate. And there was a guy there, and he was your typical snot-nosed asshole. Listened to pop punk, was obsessed with jackass, called everything gay. Everything was gay. Right, and actually, one time we got separated because he said some really homophobic shit uh, on the floor, and I called him out for it. And uh, they separated. Oh, they started calling me gay, and I was like, "Of course, that's who you go to." Um, but he came up to me, and he was like, "You know, I just heard the song of the radio. It makes no sense." He's like, "She, she's like, and that cab driver's got a PhD. If you got a PhD, why are you driving a cab?" And I'm like. Instead of just dismissing it, that it doesn't make any sense, why don't you think about it? All right? Jeez, you don't know why he's driving a cab. That's the point of the freaking song. You don't know what's going on in someone's life to get them to where they are today. Yeah, and well, it's now that we're adults, we know a lot of people who come over, because, you know, I don't want to generalize, but it might be safe to say that that cabbie might be an immigrant. 
And when people have, you know, university credentials from another country, Ontario and Canada in particular is very hard to translate grades and credentials over. It's very hard and very expensive. Mm -hmm. So they have to like go through a, a costly re uh, recredential uh, recertification kind of thing. So yeah. a lot of people, especially when they come over, they can't afford it. So you know they got to take jobs like cabbies they take or jobs. whatever. Yeah. So, like how many well, jokes have you heard in movies? Or this is like in my old country, I was surgeon, and like blah, blah, blah. like you see that movies and random things all the time. Yeah. yeah, they do that all the time. But there's it's not just that. Like uh, you don't know what goes on in someone's life why they might need extra cash. Like I remember one of the first wake up calls that I got to this business of radio that I wanted to go into was uh, <laughs> not the most lucrative in terms of payment. Yeah. Was uh, I had I had gotten to. Um, sit in when I was in college on a morning show, a very popular morning show. I'm not going to say which one it was. And did that. All right, cool. And then like four or five months later, I went to eat dinner at a restaurant and the girl who was hosting the show was my server. And it just goes to show that this business, you know, she had other things going on. She needed to make some extra scratch. And since I've been in radio... I've gone back and worked in a kitchen to earn some extra yeah. money. I've DJed weddings to make some extra money. You know, it happens. You know, people, there's no shame in it. It's like with yeah. the guy who played Alvin on the Cosby show when they were trying to shame him for working at, um, like, Trader Joe's. You need extra cash. You can get another, you know, there's no shame in that. No one should be shamed for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've I've often toyed with the idea of uh, getting a second job, and my job pays very well. Like I'm yeah. very comfortable, but I've thought about it just to you know you cut that extra scratch to pull you know settle my old college debt, settle my visa, you know things like that, just to like get myself on another level that yeah. so I can be comfortable or more comfortable. And Brian, there's, there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. no shame in doing that. Keeping yourself afloat, yeah. squirreling away some extra savings, and if you got to work another job. Don't think that you're above it. You know what I've loved about working second jobs in my life is that usually I don't care if I get fired. <laughs> so I'm very mouthy. And I just don't really care that much. So yeah. I should take my ego down a little bit. But uh, that has been something that has uh, affected me uh, when I've uh, chosen to take up a second job. Uh, okay, Junos, let's talk about them. They'd recognize Amanda with nominations for this album, but again, no awards in her career. She's never won a Juno. She'd lose Best Artist in 2002 to jazz pianist Diana Krall. Remember when she was the the big thing? And Everybody's Got a Story would lose Best Single to How You Remind Me by Nickelback. Those motherfuckers. Here's the thing. Yes. Nickelback's How You Remind Me was the most played song on radio. Sold like gangbusters. But did it make you think? Did it have a message (laughs) that we were just getting to today? Like everybody's got a story did? No! In fact, I I thought he was saying Little Women must have damn near killed you. It turns out he's saying Living With Me must have damn near killed you. I couldn't understand what the fuck he was saying! (laughs) You know, who knows? Maybe... (sighs) Because we don't know Chad Kroger's personal life, 
Who knows? Maybe he was abused or had some problems. Maybe he was teased when he was a kid. That's why he's you know, like... You know. He's like one of those guys. It's like in um, what was that movie with Ryan Reynolds and uh, Amy Smart? Just friends. He was the fat kid who got teased and got friend zoned, and then he goes away, never comes back to his hometown, and he just gets goes from fat to shredded, and he comes a huge douchebag. But like people don't know his uh, his past, you know, getting friend zoned and you know being such a a dink and a nerd. Who knows? Maybe Chad Kroger. Maybe Chad Kroger was a real loser in high school, so he's like, if I get famous, I'm going to bang everyone in Hollywood, and I'm going to just be the biggest shit I can be. Who knows? Everybody's got a story, Brian. Even Chad mm-hmm. Kroger. Even Chad Kroger. Although, knowing, knowing him, he's like, I was actually the captain of the football team, and I just got laid like a champ. It's like, oh. <laughs> One second. No. Yeah, well, this is a story. I was friends with her, um, and she lived with Nickelback, like, right before they got famous. All right, come on over. Oh, my God. So Bryn just told me that she has a friend who used to live, crash, with Chad Kroger. Just before they got famous. Yeah, in B.C. In B.C. So, Bryn, come over to the mic real quick. Okay, I'm just going to show you. All right. I just wanted to see if you can point out. Brian wants to know, have you ever seen the movie Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds? No. Okay, that's the movie where he got picked on and friend zoned a lot, so he was really fat, and then yeah. he lost all this weight. Yeah. Did that was Chad Kroger like that? Was he really like a big sweetheart underneath? But just because he's getting picked on for years. Well, what'd your friend say? That she did coke a lot with him. Did you hear that? <laughs> they did, did coke, coke together a lot? a lot. That's what that's what it was. <laughs> no. They did coke a lot. There's your no, there's okay. your there's your great winner story there, Brian. It's cokehead. <laughs> all right. Maybe I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, and it's not worthy. <laughs> Everybody's face, got Chad a story, Kroger. and his is cocaine. Oh. Well, thank you, Adi. I appreciate but your contribution my, this week. My zero contribution. <laughs> so that argument, though. All right. Uh, you know, I really like this album. I thought it was great. Uh, she's showing continual growth in her songwriting. She isn't afraid to try new things, which I love. Self-titled sounds nothing like Tuesday's Child, which sounds nothing like Everybody's Got a Story. Um, yeah. A couple of the deep cuts. See what you thought of these. I like Colleen a lot because yes. I like those story songs. Yeah. Uh, Love is My Witness because it sounded like something off of her first album. Dizzy because it's just a lot of fun. Yep. And yep. I liked Red Magic Marker because of the personal lyrics, of course, in that. Um, her boyfriend cheats on her with another man. Which, it must have been a personal uh, song, because the lyrics are pretty specific. Yeah. Um, I don't, don't know how well that would play today, even though she's very gay positive in the song. It's just, I, I don't know how that would play today, a song like that. But uh, it was interesting for the time, because it's something that happened to her in her life. Well, um, I really like the acapella Inside the Tornado. just about to ask you about that. I thought that was great. Now, can I ask you, closing a song with an acapella, because we always talk about finding good closers. Did you think that made for a good closer? Yes, because, I mean, I know it was clearly her voice just, like, uh, layered a few times, but if she had gotten a few other singers and did an acapella, I would have been like, I want more, because <laughs> yeah. it's just so good. 
Like she could have done an acapella like mini set on another album, or it's like a B sides kind of thing, or and like she did a live album, like live from you know the opera house, whatever. Um, she could have brought on another singer and had like because I told you Huey Lewis did that. He did like three songs of just yeah, acapella. He, did, yeah. he and. Uh, she could have done something like that and it would have been great to really just show off you know because some people are at the mercy of instrumentation and production without that they're nothing she can just go out with nothing and just bring the roof down you know we could sit here and we probably will sit here talking about all the could have would have should have this would be her last full-length album to date she released one more single in 2003 called Until We Fall from her greatest hits album, Intermission. And aside from like a few box sets with her albums in it and other collections, that's it. We wouldn't hear anything more from her. In 2012, she kind of revealed, oh, she said in 2012 she's working on a new album and it was almost finished. It was going to come out in 2013. Then 2013 rolled around. We never heard anything from her. So the reason from for her disappearance, it stems from a messy divorce she had with her management team. And since 2002, she's been in and out of the courts with this lawsuit with her management team. Um, and it's over the rights to her songs, to her album sales, you name it. Every try, time she tries to get something off the ground, this slows it down. It's a shame, too, because she tours regularly. Um, she actually was in Thunder Bay a couple years ago, and yeah. everyone said she was outstanding who came up here to see it. Uh, every show that she does when she's just by herself, it sells out. There's still people who love Amanda Marshall and want to see Amanda Marshall. The audience never went away. Yeah, She's got no website. She's got no social media. She just doesn't want it. She's low profile. She doesn't like doing interviews. She doesn't like schmoozing. You know, I watched um, the Much Music Intimate and Interactive with her from like 96, I think it was. It was to promote the self-titled album. Okay. And, uh, oh, it was great. You know, Master T goes out and he buys her flowers at the beginning of the show. And uh, That's nice. it's really cool. And oh, she does a great job. She sounds just as good live as she does in the recording. But when she was being interviewed, you could tell she was nervous. And she was like racing through stuff, she would say. Like, she would tell a joke and then race on to the next thing that she wanted to say. Like, you yeah. can tell that she was a little nervous, a little uncomfortable. Um, maybe it's just not her thing. Like, well, I, I, the, yeah. I mean, there's some people who, you know, some people really shine away from the spotlight and really take every opportunity to not go up to that next level they're like no i am fine in the middle gear middle of the road um like i saw an interview with classified once he said you know they asked him they said why didn't you tour more because he usually had a routine he would tour across the country he'd do his yearly tour across the country maybe hit the occasional festival around the world if there's like a hip-hop festival or something like go to australia for like a, a week or maybe a weekend but he's like home i gotta be home with my family so he's like i could easily be making more money like i don't know if she has any kids or anything like that but i don't uh, know she keeps that very private uh yeah i saw an interview with her once and she was like you don't need like justin bieber level fame to be affected by fame she's like even like a small amount of fame can have a huge impact on you and make you want to stay away from the spotlight and uh 
They asked her why didn't she have social media, and I guess Clooney, they didn't, George Clooney doesn't have Twitter. And they asked him, oh, George, why don't you have Twitter? And he was like, oh, because I drink at night. <laughs> she was like, it's kind of the same thing. She's like, I don't drink, but like, you know, I've got my thoughts and my opinions and everything like that, but I, I'd rather she can keep put it that into for her me music. People, people I love. Yeah, or put it in her music, you know. Um, it's selfish from someone who likes her music, like I do, and likes her point of view, that we don't get to hear more of it. You know, yeah. I, I'd like to hear more about her upbringing. I'd like to hear more about these these things that are going for her head, especially since her songwriting was improving so much. Um, and she was really honing it. Um, <sighs> Who knows? Maybe when she, all this is done, like when she gets that same release that Kesha got from that friggin' scumbag. Yeah. Like maybe she, Amanda Marshall will come out with like a book stack of like, come out with like a quad album or something. Just like, here's all I've got. Just like shooting up like a fire hose. You know, when you're an artist, you don't stop writing. You know, you know it's part I, of you. Aside so. from that side of things, I have one theory on why I wasn't sure if you were going to go through into this, into the, because I was thinking about this like last week. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you were going to talk about this in your script or not, but Lilith Fair played such a big part in the rise of female musicians in the 90s. And she wasn't on it. I, I, I checked all three tours. Her name was not on I, any one. Really? Of she, was, she never did a Lilith Fair. Now, I don't know wow. if that's either one of two things. Either, you know, What's her face? Um, Sarah McLaughlin. This, thank you. Either Sarah McLaughlin snubbing her, or maybe at the time when Lilith Fair came out, maybe they thought she was too big because that first album was so big. Um, but regardless, maybe she had a... I don't know, maybe Canadian musicians are a little territorial and they're like, eh, I don't want her pissing on my tree kind of thing. But, you know, I... I wrote that down here in the ending because I was trying to figure out not only why I, I kind of stopped at the end of this trying to figure out why she didn't make it big in the States because I kind of want to know why the Canadian music industry didn't step in to help her a little bit. Like yeah. I see where you're coming. Like we're going through the whole thing with Britney Spears right now where she's trying to yeah. get out of this conservatorship. Now, I don't know what Amanda's situation was like with that old man management team, how, how strict they were. I, I'm sure it wasn't like to the level of Britney. Um, but people are getting Britney Spears' back, you know? Yeah. Um, is there anyone stepping in to be like, hey, we'd love to hear from you, Amanda Marshall, you know? Um, are there any, like, like, imagine how good she would be singing on a maestro song, a hook on a maestro song, or a classified oh, yeah. song. Oh my God! It would sound so or great. Also, imagine like, her. At, imagine her and freaking Jarvis Church doing a duet. You kidding or me? Or her and Drake, another mixed race person, uh, would have blown her up even more into the next stratosphere. Or absolutely, we, we should get everyone to tweet at Drake and be like, "When you make your next album, use an Amanda Marshall hook." <laughs> you know what? Seriously, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Because Drake, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Drake loves showing off that he's still all about Toronto and he remembers all this shit that we remember up here. You know what I mean? He throws those little references in there sometimes that only Canadians would get. I bet you if Drake got that idea in his head, get Amanda Marshall to sing on your next album, he'd make it happen. Probably. Put it out there, people. 
Tweet at Champagne Poppy. Let's see if he can get Amanda Marshall to sing a hook on his next album. Put it out there. Drake plus Amanda equals greatness. I don't know what you'd call it, but figure out something. I've, I've never had anything go viral in my life, but maybe this is the idea we need. Yeah. Maybe um, this is it. Yeah. Because, yeah, going back to the Little Fair thing, because, you know, you get all these American artists and Canadian on it together. And, you know, the whole point of that festival is women supporting women. Yeah. And so it's, you know, if she had made the right friends, maybe she could have jumped on someone else's tour. Or, like, you know, as maybe as her star was starting to fledge a little bit, you know, someone like, because Tegan and Sarah won the last one as they were coming up. Maybe they could have taken her on... You know, like how Neil Young took took them under his wing. Maybe she could yeah. bring Amanda Marshall with her. It's like you need this. Let's bring you out. Exactly. You know, whoever. I. To be fair, she can't do anything until she's ready. Yeah. And if she's not ready for something like that, that's her prerogative. Yeah. You know. But if we get anything about out there about this, is that the world needs uh, more Amanda Marshall on their radio. I think. I think we could all use that. It's not just us Canadian. Thought. I'm sure there's people in Norway who really want to hear her still, too. Thoughtful music. Just, you know, just, you know, it's conscious music without being preachy. It's um, it's just personal music that people can appreciate. And it's, like you said, it just bops. Well, and it's 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 that, that powerful voice. Yeah. And she knows how to use it. You know, I've never been a big fan of the Mariah Carey's. Or the Christina Aguilera's. Like, I like some of Christina's stuff, but not when she has to show off her... Yeah, go from the real, from the diaphragm to every level. It's like, like, we get it. You can hit those notes. You've got a powerful voice. You don't need to do that. And Amanda doesn't do that. She just belts it. It's because hers comes from the soul. That's why. Because other people like Christina are doing it, and Mariah Carey are doing it for Vanny to show off their talent. She's just saying, this is how I sing from my soul, from my gut more raw like a Janis Joplin to bring it all back full circle but a couple other things here at the end I'm just going to throw out at you uh, what's your favorite Amanda Marshall song <sighs> oh I mean if we were to tap into like for nostalgic sake it'd probably be everybody's got a story but for some of the newer dives that I've gotten into um let me just do a quick quick scan here um Uh, where the fuck is it? I mean, that inside the tornado was fantastic, yeah. but to call honestly, it might be Colleen because I honestly, yeah, I was literally today. I was doing, I was cleaning in my apartment, and I was listening to Colleen, and I was like, this could almost be a like I could write a book or a movie around this. Yeah, like my creative brain immediately because I'm picturing this as a movie unfolding. Almost like a modern-day Thelma and Louise. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite... I, I like Shades of Grey. I think Shades yeah. of Grey is my favorite. Yeah, that or... You can you can never go wrong with uh, Trust Me, This Is Love or Birmingham, but Shades of Grey yeah. is a really good song. Yeah. Oh, man. So we got a seminal album, and we got just a bunch of great songs. Like, this was a good week. It was short. It wasn't these marathon listening sessions like Sloan and Blue Rodeo were. 
But yeah. uh, we packed a lot into this uh, short uh, discography of Amanda Marshall's, and uh, I feel good about it. And when well, she's ready it, to come back, she'll come back. Yeah, it's because there's a reason why we're, you know, it's three albums, but there's a reason why we're talking about those three albums, because there's so much there. It's like, it's not some bullshit surface level. It's like, okay, it's three albums, and they were enjoyable, but I can see why this didn't take off. Yeah. There's still a mystery, and there's so much here, like, lyrically... Now, you know, I could probably do three more passes on each album and still, like, miss some things. Oh, yeah. Like, I've already gone back to that first one so many times. Yeah. That first one you just can't go wrong with. And because <laughs> everything's a single and you know it, you know, you're just happy each one coming up. Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, next week on Canada FM. Next week... I got a lot of requests for this artist when we did our Moffitts episode because people are like, well, if you're going to do the Moffitts, are you going to do this band? Are you going to do this band? That band was Serial Joe. And we talked about Serial Joe quite a bit uh, in our off topic that's out there this week about Woodstock 99. And we are going to deep dive into them. It's four <laughs> albums, Brian. Do you think any of them will be as good as Amanda Marshall's uh, self-titled? I was literally driving. I had baseball practice yeah. yesterday. I was, I was driving to the Diamond to coach, and I was literally listening to the first two or three songs off one of their albums, and I'm like, oh, God, this was is going to be... Was it the one where they're really young? Hey, skate, no. yeah, you down on the road. What you going to no, do? Now where you going to go? I'm going to have to try to download that or something because it's not on Spotify. The EP's oh. not there. It's the other ones that are on there. Okay. But it was the... the the second, the sophomore one with mistake and all yeah. that. I'm, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not looking forward to it, but right. I mean, who knows? Maybe they, they'll surprise me. They got invited to play Woodstock, Woodstock for a yeah. reason. Okay. There's something there. No, it's we're going to explore can, it. They were a product of that time. That's why they were there. They were like part of the rap rock, new metal stuff. That's, they were, that's they were, but not everybody made the cut. Not That's everyone true. did. Serial Joe like, did. And they have that on a lot of bands. So We were talking about Incubus last night. Incubus didn't play Woodstock, did they? No, they didn't. They did not yeah, play Woodstock. Go. They were yeah. a new metal-ish band that didn't play. Yeah. Papa Roach didn't play. Lots. Of, I think they were just starting out Papa Roach. Linkin Park hadn't hit the scene yet. Yeah. Um, but there are plenty of, like, like P.O.D. didn't play. Um, Ozzy and Black Sabbath. They're not new metal, but they're legends, and they didn't get to play. Yeah. So, anyway. All right, Serial Joe, next week. <laughs> Follow us on Spotify. Give us a five-star review on the old Apple Music. Um, ready to do. Follow Brian's uh, posts on Instagram. He's doing a hell of a job finding these gems from yesteryear. And Thank you. Uh, keep on sending us your suggestions on Instagram as to what artists you'd like to see. It's Serial you know, when, Joe next week. After that, I don't have a fucking clue. When you texted me... That you're having, you're gonna have a hell of a time, like deep diving. You know, <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be so hard. It's gonna be so hard for me to find five clips because there's oh, just not God. much out there. No, I'll, so. I'll, 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 once we're off the air, I'll give you my ideas. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have a hard time getting info. So anyone who says I just pulled from Wikipedia, listen to next week's episode. Because there's <laughs> nothing about them on Wikipedia. There's a small blurb, and that's it. All right. Till next time. I'm Ted. I'm Brian. Do 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 do.
<laughs> Have a good weekend. Yeah.